Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share our adventures, mostly misadventures. Sometimes misadventures. <laughs> and our opinions. Lots about, of opinions. Lots of opinions about our different birding topics. We are definitely not experts and anything we discuss that might be controversial we want you to remember that it's our own opinions, and they might be different from yours. Yeah. Different opinions. Yeah. <laughs> so, Hannah, this week, uh, there's birding news out there, right? Um, geez, there's always Maybe? birding news. There is. Okay, Yeah, good. definitely. If not, okay. we'll make some up. <laughs> um, so, just, you know, a couple rarities, because that's always fun. Uh, rarities are fun. Yeah. So, slate-throated red star in Texas, code 4... ABA code for, um, and also that darn Zenaida dove thwarted us when we were living in Florida, and a Bahama mockingbird have both been seen in Florida. Where was the Bahama mockingbird? Uh, you know what? I am not sure. That's a good question. Oh, was it all the way down? I, I imagine down in the Keys. Oh, probably down in the Keys. That's that would be like super obvious place for Bar- them. That would be so obvious. Barely, barely Florida. It's out in the Keys. <laughs> out in the islands. Pretty much Caribbean. Yeah. Basically Bahamas already. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, <laughs> Little Egret, Code 4, has been seen in Maine. Oh, and then, nice. you know, Alaska always has things going on, too. Uh, white-tailed well, Eagle. Well, when it's warm. Yeah, that's true. White-tailed <laughs> Eagle, uh, Code 4, has been seen up in that area. Yeah. Um, and then in uh, Quebec, because, you know, got to throw a little Canada in there, uh, Barnacle Goose, uh, Code 4, has been seen up there. And that's just a little tidbit of some of the different birds that are seen around the ABA area. So, I... You may not know anything about this. Probably not. <laughs> but the red-footed booby, was that... Oh, was my that, gosh. Was that any... Is that a code of any sort? Is that a code 2, code 3, code 1? I have no code idea. Five? But this was crazy... Code 11. Crazy bananas, guys. <laughs> and we'll probably get onto into it a little bit when we start talking about our topic of the day. Yeah. Um, but there was a red-footed booby seen in Oregon the day... By a non-birder. By a non-birder. You know, fisherman, of course. Fisherman, get everything. But as, as long as he has a birder friend, which he did, yeah. everything's good. Yeah, so everybody, if you're not a birder, because we know there's some non-birders listening to us, you know, their friends might have forced them, like, hey, listen to this, you'll get into birding, said no one ever. <laughs> um, but, any- <laughs> but anyways, have a birder friend, just in case you see something weird. Just in case. Yeah, because lots of times we can answer those questions. You're like, hey, I have this question about life. And a lot of times birders have the answers. About life? Yeah, because we spend a lot of time in cars alone talking and thinking driving a place from place to place looking for birds we have time to think yeah lots of time to think yeah lots of time to think and talk yeah well moving away from existentialism <laughs> that's uh oh oh yeah and two uh mexican violet ears have been seen in texas one in san antonio and another one in hildago county huh. maybe it'll hang on for us when we get oh. back down to the valley all, all the way until November? Yes. I, I'm i pretty sure that's going to happen. Somebody nail it down. Yeah. So the other um, the other thing I wanted to ask about, aside from the red food booby, is the results of our poll about if birding is a hobby or if it's a recreation. So if you didn't Crowdsourcing. listen... Crowdsourcing. <laughs> if you didn't listen to this last episode or follow, me on fa- follow us on Facebook or follow me on Twitter, you might not have seen this. But I, in our last episode, talked... Talked a lot, like I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> about hobbies and recreations and whether birding is a hobby or a recreation. Because I feel like it's really torn. Some places it's a hobby, some places are recreation. And some places I feel personally, as a fish and wildlife professional in my past life, um, that birders have been discounted in some of the recreation forms because it's not. It's not necessarily seen as a recreation. There's some fish and wildlife reports, which we have um, included in past episodes in the show notes, that, you know, have wildlife watching, fishing, and hunting on the same platform. But then there's some locations also, and some conversations that I've had with people that don't include birding and wildlife watching on that same platform, which I think is really... um, really not giving us as much credit as we deserve because birders spend a ton of money 
And that money's going somewhere. It's, you know, it's hotels. Local it's, economies. It's food. It's, yeah, into local economies. But it's not necessarily being tracked like hunting and fishing equipment. Because, like, a fishing pole, like, I have a pretty good guess if somebody buys a fishing pole, what they're going to do with it. Yeah. But binoculars, or scopes even, you can use those for hunting. You can so use those for a lot of you different can, things. You can use them for spying on your neighbors. Or yeah, you know, or legitimate things. Apparently, Eric yeah. is peeping Tom. I don't know. <laughs> or you know, legitimate things. Stargazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, your neighbors are birds, so it's okay. <laughs> um, so, anyways, I know I, I talk a lot about this, and that's something that I'm really passionate about: making sure that birding is up on the same platform as these other recreation forms, because there is a lot of federal uh, money. Yeah, there's federal money. There's a lot of conversations on how this federal money and other things should be spent for the recreationists of the future. And, you know, recreationists of the past were a lot of hunting and fishing. And millennials, that's not necessarily the direction we're going. And so we need to be proactive in looking at how this money is being spent. Because if it's going hunting and the number of hunting is, pe- people hunting is going down, then maybe that's not the best... Re, uh, best... Um, best bang for the buck. Exactly. In, in terms of the government. Looking from the government side... Like, if, if you're spending X number of dollars on to attract people to hunting when you could be spending X number of, the same number of dollars to improve um, access to birding locations, that's going to affect, say, one and a half times more people or wh- whatever whatever the proportion is. If, if there's more, you, you affect more people with the same dollars, I would think you would want to do that. But see, what you just said, like doesn't make any sense because i mean your argument of course makes makes sense but of course anything i say is not gonna make sense (laughs) (laughs) marriage um but what you just said is that they're trying to attract hunters to the recreation versus spending money on um, improving facilities for wildlife watchers and birders that are already doing it that's true if people don't want to hunt like i you know opinions are our own things i am never going to be a a hunter like yeah. i'm never going to go out and hunt deer because that's just not something that interests me and not something that i want to do and you can have all the advertising you want out there but i'm not going to do it and so that's just a waste of advertising on you yeah on me exactly yes but i'm just saying like stop trying you don't need to spend a ton of money trying to drag people back into something that people don't necessarily want to do yeah if public trends going one way just spend the money towards the public trend yeah Anyways. Anyways. um, (laughs) Away from that, back onto the pole. Off my soapbox. (laughs) Um, So I did look up the definitions, and of course there are like 100 different kinds of definitions, and these are just the ones I chose. Because, yeah, that's what I wanted. Um, Because it's our podcast. (laughs) It's my podcast. My (laughs) name's on it. So hobby is a noun, an activity or interest pursued for pleasure or relaxation and not as main occupation. Versus recreation, which is a noun, refreshment by means of some pastime agreeable, exercise, or the like. So, Eric, what would you call birding? I don't know. So, I can agree with both both of those there, but there's also caveats to both of them. So, hobby, it specifi- that, that definition specified that it is not a... Um, main occupation. Not a main occupation, but yet there's guides... That that is their main occupation all around the world. Like, there there are some in America, but it's more more common in tropical countries for people to spend their entire careers being a bird guide. They're birding. That's, that's what they dream. do. That's your dream in life, isn't it? To be a tropical bird guide, that'd be fun. <laughs> You're not. It's not a hobby anymore. It's, it's a not a hobby. It's a recreation. <laughs> but but then there's the recreation, and there there was there was a bunch of comments that I thought were hilarious. I'll read the comments in a yeah. minute. But um, that is like specifying that it's. Like exercise, and that it's a pa- that it's a pastime, and I don't know. But see, I don't think it's necessary that it is an exercise. But it's also fun. That's it says fun in hobby pastime. So, but it's a it's a pastime, a refreshment by means of a pastime. So, yeah. like you're refreshing your mental state, health. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Um, by this kind of pastime, so you're spending time doing it, and that's refreshing your soul mm-hmm. at some point. So, I could argue either way. I, uh, yeah, it, it, it could be argued either way. If you, you can talk it to death, and it could it could be anything. Occupation, hobby, recreation. I think, in the end, it comes down to how does the government define it to send the money. And that's my <laughs> argument, is that 
a hobby is not something that like the government is going to spend time trying to promote exactly. necessarily. It, typically they're going to fund recreations. Yeah, because you think about like the two ma- major hobbies in the US and it's um gardening and bird watching. Stamp collecting. And- oh. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I was I forgot what podcast this was. <laughs> um, and as far as I can tell, you know, the government isn't spending a whole lot of money in gardening. U.S. Fish and Wildlife doesn't have a marketing plan around gardening. That's true. And that's the reason why I I personally lean am, toward I, I lean towards recreation too. And also because it is exhausting. Like it says, agreeable exercise. It's agreeable <laughs> most of the time. It's agreeable because it's not it's not horrible. <laughs> but they're like I get some exercise. My heart's pumping when I go out and go bird watching. How oh, about yours? Human power challenge. Oh gosh, heart's a pumping. <laughs> well, anyways, so getting down to the poll on Facebook, um, I had we had 19 votes. Um, there were 10 votes for hobby and nine votes for recreation. So it ended up 53% hobby, 47% recreation. So that's that's it's pretty le- close. leaning towards hobby, but pretty even. Uh, we had some good comments too that I want to share. Um, our good friend Javier, who's in one of our episodes, he said hobby only because the recreation definition definition says agreeable exercise, and he's done a lot of unpleasant <laughs> exercise for birds, such as waking up at four a.m., standing for hours waiting for a bird, hiking six hours just for a chance to see a bird, which of course is all worth it. Oh, and it always is. Um, our other good friend, Liz, she said it's a way of life. It's a lifestyle choice, which I think hobby and recreation can both be lifestyle choices. Yeah. Choose to spend my life recreating. Uh, Laurel, she said we didn't have the right option. She would have picked obsession. (laughs) Um, Rebecca said it's a calling. Uh, Thomas said it could be both, which like we talked about, you could argue either way. Clifford also said, "Why not both? Why not both?" He, he, he posted the gif of the um the, 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 the little girl from the taco shell commercial, <laughs> and it was like what, I can't remember hard shell or soft shell. Hard shell or soft shell? Why not both? And she got her arms up. It's hilarious. And Susie, who um, hosts an, another birding podcast called Casual Birder, she posted that she thinks it's both. It's a hobby and has led to her podcast, which is also a hobby. Uh, but she also chooses to spend her leisure time out birding, and so it's recreational. It's a stress buster for her out in nature with the birds, or even when she takes some time just to sit in the garden watching and listening to local birds. Um, Jane said that she thinks it's a, a profession, uh, which would definitely be awesome for some people if it is your profession. So that, <laughs> that negates hobby then. Yeah. It can't be a hobby if it's your profession, right? Yeah. <laughs> Logan... Uh, <laughs> He said the bird watching is a hobby and birding is a recreation. So why not both? So just what you call right. it. There we go. Bird watching from your from your window. Birding when you go seeking them out. <laughs> uh, G. Brandon, he said it's both. Um, Rod said he voted hobby because it's actually more of an obsession sometimes, which I totally get. And then Tim said it's a profession. So kind of runs the gamut there. That's an anti-hobby vote in my book. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I so it's it's tough. Let's just, yeah. Life. It's birding. It's it's the it's the things that fly around with feathers. It's an anomaly. Yeah. It trans transcends. It transcends hobbies and recreations. It transcends and professions. vocabulary. There we go. Transcends language. Whoa. Mind, mind blown. So, um, so moving away from that. Actually, I did want to give a shout out. So I track oh. where our um, listeners come from because we want to just, we're curious. And Inquiring I, minds need to know. <laughs> I need to know. Um, I think it's awesome that we have listeners from all over the, the world and we are very Amerocentric, which I apologize, but we live we live here. We live it's, in America. It's easy to talk about where you're at. Well, and we also have our Easier. network. Our network is mostly in America. Yeah. And so, like, the websites we know about and the Facebook pages are mostly American. And I feel... I'm sorry, guys from outside the country that don't necessarily... But they're still listening, so maybe we don't need to be that sorry. They are, yes. Uh, maybe they're doing research. Yes. And I just want to say that our biggest hits from our last episode were from a place in England where I will butcher the name of and i think right, it's go ahead and butcher it tweaksbury tweaksbury that's what i'm saying 
Yeah. And thank you all. We had a lot I, of listeners from that area of England. I looked at a map, and it looks like a nice place to go. It looks like it's kind of in the countryside. Like, I looked at the Google satellite map. I didn't do any research aside from that. But it, look, it looks like it's kind of out in the country. It looks like a nice place to go birding. It sounds lovely. Yeah. And I'm sure you all are very lucky and blessed to live there. It sounds wonderful. And thank you so much for showing up and listening to us and our jab- jibber-jabbering. Jibber-jabber. Yeah, and for listening to me butcher your names. But shout out to you guys for tuning in and for our biggest listener number from our last episode to be from England. Yeah. That's really cool. Should that be a segment where which city has the largest listener number from? Do, 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 do. <laughs> where are our listeners from? <laughs> Anyways, getting into the meat of our podcast. The, the meat of this episode. Um, we wanted to talk about our pelagic trip that we just took out of Newport, Oregon this last weekend. Yeah, so we went with Oregon Pelagic Tours. Um, they contract with uh, Tradewind Charters out of Newport. We had Captain Rob this time. Captain Rob was awesome. He was fantastic. Great dad jokes. He, he, he not he, even he, a birder. Not knocked him right out. He was kind of a birder. He, he, he was sort of. He was able to point him out, which, which is which is good. Some some captains they're just there for to drive the boat. To drive the boat, and that's all they're there for. Captain Rob, he was he was into it. He was having a good time. He seemed to be at least. <laughs> and we had a blast. So our so we had Captain Rob driving the boat, and then we had our guides, uh, uh, Tim uh, Shelmerdine. David Mandel and Russ Nimitz. Yeah, and they were all great. There was about oh, yeah. 27 people on the boat. Yeah, tw- I think 27 participants and then the three guides. Yep, and we had a great time. It was a six-hour tour mm-hmm. out of Newport, um, which is a little bit shorter than the other pelagic trips that we've been on. Which is great for me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a short pelagic is, that's all I need. Yeah, so just getting into a little bit of the specifics about pelagics because if you haven't been on one before you might not be familiar but eric what are um pelagic birds so pelagic birds are birds that spend most of their time out in the ocean they don't come to land that often come to breed they eat they sleep they do everything out in the ocean um birds such as albatross except for nesting except for nesting yeah they don't nest and they don't make floating nests that would be so cool that would be kind of cool just make floating nests out of Whatever. I imagine they're, they're they on feathers. tires, though, and they, that they, makes me sad. They pluck their own feathers and sew them into nests oh, or gosh, something. they're so talented. I know. So, they don't actually do that. They go to <laughs> land. They nest on land. But um, birds like albatross, petrels, storm petrels, skuas, jaegers, tropic birds, and some terns. There's even some gulls are considered pelagic birds. Um, and a lot less is known about these species than land-based birds. And I imagine that's because, like, the typical birding location for these birds isn't something like your neighborhood wetland. Yeah, you don't you don't usually find these birds backyard birding, <laughs> there unless unless you're on a boat and your backyard's a boat. I don't. That'd be uh, awesome. Li- living in a houseboat in the ocean. Yeah. I don't, I think that would be horrible. That's, that is my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and also, they just don't like occur in huge numbers. You know, like things like junk of Oregon. Not Oregon, dark eyed juncos here, where we have a couple on our block. Yeah, you know they're not going to be as as consistent as that because like the ocean's huge. Yeah, it's the, the habitat type is different. So you're out in the open ocean, and you kind of you're you're looking to find these birds. You're looking for like upwelling areas where fish are pushed to the surface, where fish are feeding near the surface, or large algae blooms, stuff like that that are going to attract. The birds, the, where the food is. So it's going to be like in random locations then, right? A, a lot of random locations. Sometimes there's underwater geographic features that you can't see when you're driving, when you're just driving along on the boat. Are they geographic or geologic? I, I guess they're geologic. Topographic? They're topographic features. They're, I'll, I'll like say the whatever wrong. the bumps on the map? The bumps on the map. It's a bump in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> it's like on the map, but in the ocean. But they they cause different things to happen in the water. You can't see them from... See, so you're driving along, and you have no idea it's there. Unless, unless you have a... Unless you have a depth finder so you can see see the, th- see the bottom of the bottom of the seafloor, see what's happening. Or if you know it's there, or if you're really paying attention to what the... You see some birds start showing up. Usually if you see birds showing up as you're driving, there's probably something going on in the water. You're not going to have birds for no reason. And I imagine a lot of these captains, right, would have kind of an idea of where there are reefs that maybe they like to go fishing at normally. Oh yeah. I'm I'm sure good fishing locations are probably really good birding locations too. Is the fish are pushed up, the fish are doing stuff, so the birds are probably doing things too. 
So what exactly is pelagic? So we know what pelagic birds are. Mm -hmm. What is pelagic birding then? So pelagic birding is like birding, but for pelagic birds. It's oh, com- it's very you. it's very complicated. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me more about this process. <laughs> so basically, you get in a boat and you go out to sea, and anytime anytime you go further than um, two miles from land, that's when uh, eBird, my my resource for everything, uh, <laughs> eBird starts to consider a pelagic birding once you're you two, he- two miles out from land. You hear that, guys? Free advertising. <laughs> But anytime you're further than two miles from land is when eBird considers a pelagic birding. And it's basically anytime you go out into the open ocean. Okay. So looking for these birds that are pelagic birds. The skuas, the petrels, the albatross. And on the topic of eBird, I guess I could go and discuss the eBird pelagic protocol. So we all know, we're all familiar with the stationary, incidental, traveling protocols that eBird has for different... uh, Different eBird efforts, different birding efforts that you're putting into it. When you leave further than two miles away from shore, eBird wants you to use the pelagic protocol, which is a little bit more information sensitive, but or inform, information specific. But it's kind of the same information that's implied on land. Things like depth. You you that that kind of gives you a habitat type by giving you a depth. Mm-hmm. Um, they they want so that's the sort of information they want. They want uh, to you to use GPS coordinates for beginning and end. They want um, an, a time that's an hour or less, no longer than an hour. Okay. Um, you want to cover your distance traveled. Try to account for any backtracking. You don't want to count your backtracking as forward motion. Um, put the temperature, wave height. Depth and visibility. That's all the information that they want on the Pelagic Protocol, which basically covers all the things. That gives you your habitat type, because depth of the ocean, habitat type. Um, the wave height kind of gives you your, your weather conditions. If the waves are just insane, you're going to have much different, uh, a bigger difference in the types of fish that are there. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it, it kind of gives a lot more information as to what you're seeing and kind of helps people do with the research of finding out expected conditions. So, um, this was our second pelagic tour. Yeah. Our first one shall remain nameless because yes, it shall. we might mention <laughs> it. And also it did not, it was, it, there was a lot to be wanting. A lot, a lot to be asked for. Yes. Yeah. Um, we just did not have a great time on our first pelagic tour. Which it was, was not with Oregon pelagic tours. It was not. It was in um, Florida. We, there's lots of companies in Florida. We will not mention who it was with because we don't necessarily want to talk bad about any individual or any company because you might have a completely different experience. Oh, yeah. But we just might compare this trip a lot with that one. And just you might know that um, we had a terrible time on our first one. So yeah. just FYI. But this time was we had a great time on this We one. had a great time It was time fantastic. Yeah. So... Um, a couple other things about pelagic tours. We have found our pelagics because we are typically on listservs that um, mention, you know, hey, there's a pelagic coming up. We have friends that will say that on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Also, I get a wild hair every once in a while and just type in, like, pelagic tours near me, and it pops up with some of them. And so you can plan it better that way. They're usually fairly well advertised. If you're looking for the right thing, you can usually find them. Yeah. Uh, if you're aware. Yeah. If you're, if you're aware that they exist... You can find them. And I think they typically take place, like, gosh, like, late spring through um, the fall, through, like, like from April to, like, October or yeah, so. Yeah, they, they usually aim they for, for migration periods. So the, the thickest of them are in the spring and the fall, and they'll occasionally fall in winter and summer, just kind of sporadically. I think those are usually, like searching ones like the like the the guides and the captains kind of want to see what's out there in the off season because like we said they're the least studied birds so the more info the more info we can get on the better if if people go out in the off seasons and you find well we never even knew that albatross were offshore in oregon during july or something yeah then you, you that's how you find out you have to go out to find out you can't you don't just know and a lot of these are going to be like 
uh, companies like Oregon Pelagic Tours that contracts out with a fishing charter company. Mm-hmm. And the company we went with, Tradewind Charters, they had several fishing tours going that day. Like, we were getting on the boat with our binoculars and all of these other fishermen, or all these fishermen were getting on a boat with their fishing gear looking at us like, what are those crazy people doing? <laughs> um, we had like, like six other trips out that day or probably more than that. I, I, I'm sure more than that, but there was at least six that went out that day. And, Aside from us, that we're all fishing. And like I said, I am an advocate that birding is at least a recreation, if not more a sport or something like that. <laughs> like something that has a little bit more higher status in uh, the those kind of terms. And so I definitely recommend like going with these fishing charters because they see the value in it. Um, we, it's, it's money in their pocket. Well, yeah, but it's not necessarily a venue that they realize that they could make money on. Yeah, um, not, have, not everyone realizes it, yeah. We have a local charter company down here that's been working with an environmental nonprofit, and they now went from only doing fishing charters to now they do whale watching charters. And that's just another yeah. step to doing like wildlife watching like birds. So yeah. that's awesome that they're doing that. I mean, of course... Fishing is always going to be their bread and butter because, like, you can make a lot of money on that. But it's great to see that they're offering um, things to other recreationists. Yeah. Um, I ha- I found an article by The Birdist. Have you heard of The Birdist? I have. Nicholas Lund. I've heard of The um, Birdist. He had his article um, in 2016, his rule number five, 55, go on a pelagic tour. Just a couple things um, that he said in there that was interesting. Like, if you're going on a plagic, just realize you might have to get up really early in the morning. Um, it's no earlier than a regular some of birding them are. trip. Some of Debbie Shearwater one I, guess I was talking the, about, I guess 5.30 is. in the morning to yeah. leave. Leaving at 5.30, so you... Get up at 4. Get up at 4. Yeah. Maybe 3.30 if you're staying a little <laughs> further away. Anyways, um, there's a chance you'll get seasick, and then... 100% for me. <laughs> and then there's also a chance that you might be stuck on a boat from sunup to sundown. So it can be a super long day, but as he says in his article, and we can um, put that in the show notes, mm-hmm. it... It's just a couple tidbits about why a pelagic is really rough, but then the bulk of the article is about why it's really worth it, and you should definitely take the chance to do it if you haven't done it before. Um, and yeah, that's my caveats to uh, pelagics. Yeah, so I guess b- before we talk more about our pelagic, the last last thing I wanted to say about pelagics in general would be uh, about the eBird checklist. So check with the tour um director whoever whoever you're organizing with about the eBird if if you're interested in eBird not not everyone cares about eBird it's not a huge deal but checking checking with them if if you want an eBird checklist if somebody on the ship is making an eBird checklist just make sure you, you mention get them get them your info so you can get the information shared to you cuz a lot of times the last two that we've been on and then um, there's a few that I've I've looked up. There's someone, one of the guides is assigned to making the checklist, mm-hmm. and they they go through and they do the pelagic protocol. So you don't even you don't have to do any of that extra thing. It's just like going on a a fishing charter. They do all the work for you. You just have to reel it in. It's that's basically what the the birding pelagic turns out turns out to. They they take you to where the birds are going to be. You see the birds, and then somebody else can can make make the list and do the work of. Coming up with what the depth is, what the temperature, wave height, all that stuff is, what your GPS coordinate is for the checklist, create the checklist and share it with you. It's it makes it easy peasy when somebody else is doing all that all that extra hard all that legwork for you. And then you can just enjoy yourself, enjoy the birds, take pictures if you can hold your camera still enough. If you can monitor the waves and follow them or However, people can figure it out. I know I couldn't figure it out. My uh, every bird, every bird picture I had, the bird was in the corner of the frame, just you got barely. A good ones. I, I got a couple in there, but it, I'd take like ten shots, and there'd be like one out of the ten. But yeah, just double check with your trip coordinator to see see if they're making a checklist, and if not, then get a piece of paper and a pencil. So, day before the pelagic. Yes. Do 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 do. Um, we met up with a couple of other birders who had emailed the other, the day before mm-hmm. and it was, it was kind of cool. The, uh, 
the operator, the Oregon Project Tours operator, Tim, yeah. he emailed everybody with concerns about weather. Yeah, there, there were some major concerns about weather. There were, and that's something the Pelagics are definitely um, Very hinged, hinged on weather. Because you don't want to go out if it's going to suck. Oh my gosh, no. It's, you don't see anything, and the waves get horrible. Yeah. Anyways, so that gave everybody each other's email addresses. And so then a couple birders had emailed around like, hey, if anybody's going to be in Newport before the pla- the day before the Pelagic, maybe we can go birding together and get dinner. And we were like, heck yes. Yes, we can get down there a couple hours earlier. We want to bird, meet some other people. So we made plans to meet with Jack and Kelly, who were a couple of birders out of Portland, mm-hmm. to do a little um, pre pelagic birding and grab some some, some pre gaming, if you will, <laughs> birding pre gaming. <laughs> uh, so we met with them at South Beach State Park on Friday, right? Friday, yeah, Saturday. Friday. Day one, we <laughs> met with them to go to South Beach State Park in southern Newport to look for snowy plovers, which are pretty rare out here on the Oregon coast. They're um, locally endangered. They're locally endangered, and that's a location where they've known to have nested in the past. And there was a couple fences out trying to protect like nesting areas. Yeah, kind of, kind of in the interdunal area that kind of they they I assume they found nests or seen activity. This season, and that's why they put up the um, the fencing. the it, well, it's not fencing really; it was just flagging. Yeah, but um, the winds were very high. Yeah, we got out of the car. We of course took the adventure mini, the adventure mini, <laughs> and we climbed out on top of the dune. And Jack had said we're wearing a yellow and a purple rain jacket, mm-hmm. and it was cold and windy. And I we came on top of the dune, and I saw. A yellow and a purple jacket, like, like half a mile down the beach. They were, like, a, almost a full mile. Oh, my gosh. They were, they were down there. I was like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, the wind was just whipping. But there were still birds out there. We, there, was there were. Wimbrels. Sanderlings, wimbrels. Yeah. Uh, gulls. There was a swallow that was just fighting his heart out, not making any progress. The barn swallow, fighting his heart <laughs> out, not making any forward progress right into the wind. Yeah, so we birded around that area a little bit, just kind of sauntered back to the cars. Let the wind take us back to the car. (laughs) And then um, headed over to the Yuquina River, which is the the river that comes out of Newport. There's Mm -hmm. a fantastic bridge, which is like one of the most iconic things about the Oregon coast is this bridge, I think. It's pretty... It's a pretty photogenic bridge. Yeah, and it has a lighthouse on the north side. And that's a fantastic burning location. So we went over there to see what we could find. Yeah, so along the south, there's a south jetty and a north jetty. The south jetty has a road that follows along, almost it goes out to the edge of the land. And then you can get out and walk the jetty itself. But it was Which super, we were not going to do. No, it was super windy and the waves were just wild. So we were not going to, we weren't going to do that. But we are going to go over because the... Edge of the river is re- a really good place to go birding. It's, yeah, we see a lot of you, um, usually it's just cormorants and terns. Oh yeah, and Ton, tons shorebirds. of shorebirds, and it's it's on the north end of the South Beach State Park. So there's there's some uh, trees and stuff. You can get some warblers if uh, if the winds the conditions are, are right. if the conditions are right. Yes. Um, so we we got we got out to the to the South Jetty Road. We were driving out, and I was I was leading the way in the mini, and they were they were following up behind us. And I, I kept seeing them slow down, and I, Jack kept having his binoculars out of the window, out of the window, out of the window. So I found a kind of wider spot, and we pulled over. And he was talking about, there's some, like, swallow-like birds out there. And I was thinking, okay, well, there's well, there's swallows. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so we, we, we all start looking. We're looking real carefully. And there were, there were these birds that were small. They they weren't swallows. They were swallow-like. They, they had, like, a kind of... Um, Nighthawk style flight, mm-hmm. which was immediately like, okay, it's small, shaped kind of like a swallow, pointy and all that, but it is definitely not a swallow. It's kind of flying like a, um, kind of flying like a Nighthawk. And then Hannah, Hannah suggested, Ding, Hannah, Hannah suggested Storm Petrol. <laughs> Storm Petrol. She got all excited. We so we were like, what, what is this? What is, what is this seabird doing? I guess the winds are high. Maybe they're, maybe they've been pushed in. 
And so we start searching eBird, like, when was the last time storm petrels were reported out here? Yeah, and we were like, which storm petrel was it? Yeah. And because we knew we were going to see some on the pelagic. Yeah. And because uh, oftentimes on these pelagics, they have trip reports. And mm-hmm. so we had looked up past trip reports, and it said they had had fork-tailed storm petrels. Yeah, so we were like, okay, well, well maybe it's fork-tailed. It's got to be fork-tailed. So we, we're looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, and it's... Short little tail, the the coloration was right, it kind of light light underneath, kind of dark uh, dark above, darker in the face. Fork-tailed storm petrel. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and that is our bird of the episode. Bird of the episode? Yes. Our, I, didn't, I didn't know. Our new segment. segment oh, segment. That's what I wanted to say. A segment. Is our fork-tailed storm petrel, which right. is... Um, as iBird Pro states, it's a medium storm petrel, blue gray upper parts, pale gray underparts. Did you see all that? Oh yeah, definitely. I was able to definitely get super on that. <laughs> <laughs> Punked on that. Um, Punked. Primaries are darker gray than flight feathers. Fork tail feathers are narrowly white tipped, alternates, rapid shallow wing beats, and stiff wing glides. All right. So I think. That's a complicated way of saying it flies like a nighthawk. I agree. Um, <laughs> and just some ecology about them. They are ranked as least concerned due to its range and population. So that's really good. And its range is all the way from the Aleutian Islands off the Alaskan coast. And sometimes down the coasts of British Columbia. And then it comes all the way down to where we're at. And uh, almost up to Northern California nice. is kind of where its range ends. Um, but it stays out in the ocean. It's a it's a pelagic bird. Yes, it is. Except for when the wind blows hard enough, then it becomes a river bird. <laughs> yeah. Um, just a couple fun facts about them. So fork-tailed storm petrels, they store oil in their stomach, and they regurgitate that oil onto the predators, which if somebody was going to ask me what my superpowers would be, <laughs> that would totally be it. Regurgitate oil onto your predators. Well, you know, initially it was barking like a turkey vulture yeah, yeah. onto things, but I think oil is better because then... Light them on fire. Oh, is that your other superpower? You can light the people that you... Well, I just keep matches. Oh, I see. <laughs> I just have a lot of matches. You just keep matches. Well, why not? <laughs> um, and so, sometimes onto each other during squabbles over death signs. All right, then. And they also use it to feed their chick. They, they have, feed their chicks oil? Yeah. Interesting. They have this... Uh, the single egg that they lay is approximately 20% of the female's body weight, which is about... One of the largest eggs relative to body size like of a kiwi? all birds. It, I think kiwi's about 25%. Kiwi's the biggest, right? It's yeah. the lar- largest proportion of egg to body size. So they're 20%. Oh my gosh. Tw- um, imagine 20% of your body is an egg like, that you're squeezing out somehow. Is that like a leg? Is that like oh. 20% of your body? I think 20% of my body would be my leg. Yeah. <laughs> my entire leg would be inside me. And then it would just disappear. It would just <laughs> poop out. Ew. Oof. Um, adults, they don't feed their chicks in bad weather, and after several days without food, the chick reduces its body temperature and goes into a state of torpor in really? which growth nearly ceases. So like a hummingbird. Sort Just, of. It gets cold, and it's like, oh, that's it. Except it's... Taking a break from because life. Because their parents won't feed them. And they, lastly, they use their sense of smell to find food at sea, and they're often the first birds to arrive at an odor source. Hmm. So, that's how you attract them. You just, like, smell like a fish. You just smell like a fish. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, anyways, we saw those birds, which was super cool. We yeah, saw, was... like, about four to six of them. There, there was four definitive, four at once. And I think there was probably about seven total. But we couldn't get them all in one bit couldn't, couldn't, get, couldn't get them all at the same time. I think, I think there was probably seven. That's kind of my estimate of what we saw flying around out there. But that was a lifer for us. Yeah, and it was. And it was a pelagic bird. So that was just super exciting. Remember, to the, tri- see. the trip was already made. I saw yeah. Pelagic. I hadn't even got out <laughs> on the water yet. <laughs> made it so much easier. And yeah. so then we went to the Rogue Brewery for dinner to celebrate. And, yeah, and also because it's <laughs> delicious. And we met another birder, Duke, um, who was going to be going out with us the other the next day. Yeah. So day Jack, two. Kelly, and Duke, and us. And one cool thing at the Rogue Brewery, I had a beer called a Condor Kolsch. Yeah. And the, some of the money from the purchase of that goes to condor restoration and release and rehabilitation for California condors at the Oregon Zoo. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I felt good about that. 
Yeah. And it was delicious. Drinking for a good cause. That's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> yeah, so the next day. Day two. Day two. Day one of Pelagic, day two of the trip. Um, we got up early and headed down to the dock. Oh, not, not super early. The We were supposed to leave at 6.30. Yep. It's not, not crazy early for us. Not not too terrible. Get up at 5.30, head down to the dock. Um, got got down there, met up with everyone else there. Had about 27 people. 27 people. Logan was there, one of our... Logan. What, met, met him a couple times now. This is... This is time number two. Getting to be a regular thing with him. Getting getting to be a thing, yeah. And a group of birders from Michigan who I had had a previous interaction with because I was friends with their trip leader on Facebook. And he said he was in Portland. And I was like, Oh, are you going to see the tufted puffins at Haystack Rock near where we live? And he said, No. And I said, You got to get out out to go see him. And so then they did and they saw him. Nice. Yeah, so we we saw a bunch of people that we knew. It was kind of it was kind of sure. nice. Yeah. Well, that we knew technologically. <laughs> we knew on the internet. We Facebook knew. We Facebook knew. Yeah. So that, that was kind of nice meeting some people face to face. But the trip, I dread pelagics because I get very seasick. Not see not very seasick like I'm immobilized, can't do anything, but very seasick like I spend a lot of time throwing up. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because we were talking about it at dinner the night before. Because mm-hmm. what else do you talk about other than yeah, throwing then up at what's, dinner? Then what's going to happen tomorrow? <laughs> and everybody was just really, <laughs> seemed to be really impressed with Eric. That even though he gets seasick, he still opts to go on these trips. I dread it, but that's the only way you see pelagic birds. Well, you got to see them all. It's worth it to you, right? Oh, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I'll, I'll spend the time throwing up. How much time would you for... spend throwing up to see a bird? Uh, well, new, I don't know. New Facebook poll. Let's, let's see. New how Facebook many, poll. No, how kidding. many hours throwing up would you spend to get a lifer? Did we even talk about the diarrhea talk with Costa Rica? I don't know if we talked about we'll the diarrhea We'll have to save talk. that for yeah. the future. Next, next, uh, next time diarrhea comes up, we'll talk about that. Okay. But anyways, throwing up. So it, We're it, disgusting it happens. I'm sorry. It happens. I try to be as discreet as possible, but my vocal cords get activated and I'm very <laughs> loud. I don't know. You say it's, this every time. It's it's frustrating to me that I annoy people, that I gross people out. But I get seasick. It happens. It's a fact of life. I deal with it. We move on. So we got on the <laughs> we got on the boat. Yep. Like I said, there were fishing groups going out at the same time. So I felt kind of like a weenie with my binoculars, <laughs> and I'm like, well, oh, I'm gonna... they, they're not even going to see the cool I'm stuff. I'm going to see birds. <laughs> they're like, we're going to go fish. Um. <laughs> I did see a whole group of women get on one boat going fishing, which yeah. I thought was kind of cool. It was like, girls weekend, fishing. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, woman power. And we got on the boat. We headed out towards the, the mouth of the river. Mm-hmm. Saw some harlequin ducks, cormorants. Um, what mers, else did we see? The mers. Tons of mers. Tons of pigeon guillemots. Harbor seals. Harbor seals. California sea lions. California sea lions. Yeah. Um, lots of, lots of normal harbor things. Uh-huh. And while we were on our way out, the, um, the leader of the trip, uh, Tim, he mentioned about this red-footed booby that was posted on, uh, Burning Oregon or... I, yeah, I don't that, feel like... It, it was posted the day before. I don't feel like we gave it justice it, in our we, intro. We didn't really give it justice. So, anyways, so there's a fisherman out at sea, mm-hmm. and as he was coming in, a red-footed booby had landed on a ship. Landed on the front of his boat. Yeah. And so he like said it was on his boat for like a good hour or something like that. It was from the time that he turned turned around all the way till the time he got back to the river. And he attempted to feed it, it looks like. It looks like it sounds like he did feed it. Okay. Well just like he just like tossed out whatever bait he had to it and it just ate it. And he took a picture of it um on the railing of a ship. Or mm-hmm. his boat. And it looked like he had some fishing trails or something that he was trying to, like, get his attention with in the picture. But yeah. he sent it to a friend who posted it on Birdie in Oregon. Uh, well, he sent it to his friend saying, hey, what's this weird bird? Yeah. <laughs> Which, that's that's always that's always an exciting story. Hey, what's this weird bird? <laughs> but they posted it on Birdie in Oregon, mm-hmm. which got shared to the wider Oregon birding audience. And it turned out that it was a red-footed booby. And it was the first red-footed booby to be seen in Oregon. Yeah. First first uh first state record. Yeah. Super exciting. Which is super exciting. The day before our Pelagic. The very day before. Yeah, it was Friday. While we were looking at these fork tailed storm petrels, 
we were there so was dumb. this fisherman out there feeding a, a red-footed booby just off the, off just the off shore. the Oregon waters. Yeah. So, anyways, we decided. Well, not us. We didn't decide. <laughs> this was this was a Tim decision and a Captain Rob decision. They decided that we should go check out the lighthouse area where there's a huge colony of birds on the way out to see if maybe that red-footed booby had overnighted in that area. Yeah. If if anywhere, that would be the most likely. Is what. Uh, what their what their thinking was that would be the most likely spot to see it, so that that was the our first destination. Yeah. Once we so, headed out, so we headed off to there. We saw lots of common murs, actually a ton of marbled mirrorlets. I thought. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It was re- which is really, another endangered species. Really, it's they're a crazy bird. They live. They're a pelagic bird that nest in old growth forests. But the on cool land. thing is that they didn't even discover that until like the eighties because yeah. they didn't know where these birds nested. And then you have to give me some, you know, grain of salt with the story. <laughs> but the, somebody like cut down a tree, like a logger cut down a tree and a marbled mirrorlet fell out of it. it and it was like so a couple weird. miles inland. Yeah, because cause they'll fly and they fly so fast. Because they're they're just they're they're like the like teals. They just fly so fast, very yeah. fast birds through the air, and they fly through old growth forests on the coast, dodging trees, at dodging the, trees at night. Morning. Yeah, it's dark when they're doing this. They're just flying at like forty or fifty miles an hour through these trees, just, and then they like right at the last second they pull up and land on a branch, just, and so they webbed feet, webbed feet landing on a branch and and dark at 40 miles an hour. It's, it's crazy. So they're, they're really cool birds. And the looks that we had at them were great looks. The we're, we just happened to be going along and then they bloop, popped up and they were only like 50 feet, yeah, they 60 were feet far. away from the boat. It was, they, they just popped right up next to the boat, like real close. It's like, Oh man. So we're all trying to get pictures of them and everything. And that was, that was pretty cool. Real close birds. Yeah. Saw, Real, really good looks at them. Saw those. Saw uh, brain officers, auklets, um, which were fantastic looks at it. But also, one of the reasons that I wanted to go is because we saw gray whales. We saw tons of whales. Which is so cool. And they weren't that far. No, they're, they're, they they stay real close to shore anyways. But we just immediately, right off the bat, coming out of the shore, or coming out of the um, harbor, just boom, 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 we see spout after spout. Yeah, so that was super cool. And it's cool. not even the season for it, really. This is this is kind of out, out, a little bit outside. So most of these, I think, are residents. Maybe, yeah. But, I mean, we don't know for sure. There's no way to know for sure. They're probably still later early migrants or whatever. But they're but ton, tons of them. It was cool. So we headed out to the lighthouse, the Quinna Head Lighthouse, because there's two yes. in Newport. So it's the northern one, you Quinna Head. Um, Up in Agate Beach? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, but we went up there, and there's this huge colony of common murs that nest in that area, as well as peregrine falcons. I know, not a huge colony, but there's some that nest <laughs> a there. A huge colony of peregrine falcons. <laughs> Two. <laughs> um, but they nest out there. I'm, we didn't see any bald eagles, but I'm sure there'd probably be a lot of bald eagles in that oh, area. Oh, I'm sure. Um, what else did we see at the lighthouse? That, there were some cormorants, not a whole ton. There was a, a couple cormorants here and there. There was. I feel like we saw pelagic cormorants all the way out to the edge. I know there's pelagic cormorants everywhere. That was that was cool. They're they're cool looking cormorants. They're interesting. They're like so needle like. Yeah. So from the lighthouse, we started heading straight west out yep, to straight, sea. Straight west out to sea. Out to where you couldn't see anything from there. You, well, it was crazy because you could still see land, but only because. Like Mary's Peak, and there, there's a there's a mountain range at the coast. In Oregon, there's a mountain range cl- real close to the coast, and that mountain range you were able to still see the mountain range even when we were at the furthest out. Which in Florida we nah, just nothing. Florida's flat, so as soon as soon as we got like 15 miles out, that's it, nothing. <laughs> we're gonna have to swim, and I don't know which direction. Which, don't know which direction to go. We, <laughs> I couldn't tell which way is east or west, north and south. It was yeah. we were just out there. So, at, at least with Oregon, we could tell. Okay. Lands over there, so I know north, south, east, west. <laughs> so, I'm good. Um, here we we had an idea that the weather was going to be kind of rough, and we didn't really come into that much rain. But Not really. when we headed west, like a couple miles out, like we started hitting the swells. The swells were huge, and they were giant. Which me, I'm not like an adrenaline junkie, but I'm somebody who I feel like I do really well on boats. And it was a lot better than me. It was a blast <laughs> being on that boat and feeling it rock like that. And it wasn't a giant boat. Like I said, it was like a thirty-person boat. 
So it, it was pretty small. I felt like we were getting tossed around. Yeah, I can't remember. It was the largest boat that they have. On it was, the fleet. It was their largest boat in their fleet. But it's not it's not a giant like yacht monster boat. It's a, it's a it's a medium sized boat. It's a good it's a good sized boat. The first <laughs> pelagic we saw were sooty sure waters, and yeah. they they you can actually see them from shore in Oregon at certain times of the year if you have a good enough scope. If you have if you have a good scope, you you can see you can see a lot of pelagics. I'm surprised how many pelagics in Oregon you can see. Because of weather conditions, and if you have a scope on a lot of these headlands and jetties, you can get out far enough that two miles out is still visible. Yeah. Three miles, four miles out is still visible, so you can you can see things. And if the wind's blowing right, the bird will come in closer, and you can get it. Yeah, so we were seeing shitty... Shitty searwaters? Yep. Sooty shearwaters. That's what I said. Um, <laughs> we're seeing those pretty frequently once we started getting further and further out. And those started to be supplemented by different shearwaters, like pink-footed shearwater. Mm-hmm. And there was another shearwater that people were seeing that we... A short-tailed. A short-tailed. Which I, I never heard them call it, which I'm sure, I, I, spent, I spent some time with my head over the edge of the boat, so I, don't know, I didn't hear everything. But, um, but I, didn't, I didn't see any of the short-tailed. Which, and that happens on Pelagics. That's so, what I was going to say. Yeah. Is that on this one, there were th- three guides, mm-hmm. and, you know, they have to get all the way around the boat. And so, one, a guide will typically stay at kind of one point. Like, they'll have points that they stay at. Yeah. And then, when they call it a bird, uh, you're, the word is supposed to travel down the rest of the boat. Which yeah, it's, it's everyone's responsibility. Happy. Yeah, it's everyone's responsibility to say it out loud, real loud, if you hear it, no matter if you think everyone's already heard it. Yeah. Which, it, it, hap- it they did really good about it. Yeah, it's, no, it they mon- did. It was a lot of the other participants weren't necessarily doing it. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're not pay- being paid to do it, so that's fine. Exactly. It was just that we, we missed the short-tailed because we didn't hear anybody say it, but that's also one of the... It, it might things- have also been just a single short-tailed. But that's also yeah. one of the things that they say is that you're not necessarily going to see every bird. Which we totally understand. Oh, yeah. It's birding. Yeah. I have reason to go back out. Yeah. So, um, pink-footed shearwaters, the short-tailed shearwater, and then we got to the first chum spot. The first chum spot. And we saw a bird. Hannah announce it? That I've always wanted to see. Not necessarily this species, but just a family of birds that I've wanted to see my entire life. And it was a black-footed albatross. Um... That is some... I have always wanted to see an albatross. I... They are such an iconic bird. I think they're amazing. And we saw them. And it was just like... An amazing moment. And they stayed so close to the boat. They did. And I felt ridiculous watching them eat popcorn. Because that was part of the chum was popcorn. It wasn't just Eric throw up. No, just not just me. Yeah. Somebody but, else Somebody else contributed. But we, we saw them <laughs> and they were beautiful. And they sat on the water and ate the chum. And it was like a special moment And they fly around. And it was good. I think yeah. I got some good pictures of those guys. Oh, I think you did. Yeah. And we'll of course share those. Yeah. Um... After sitting there watching them for a little bit at the first chum spot, we noticed a, or I, I feel like I spotted them, yeah, but you, I didn't you, say you, it you loud did, enough. You did spot it when they first came over the horizon. Yeah. It was like a dun 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 kind of moment that I saw all these goals. Like, normally when you see goals, you know, it's like a goal here, a goal there. They're not, like, organized. But these goals were organized. It was a flock. It was a It was a herd. Or a school of goals coming over the horizon. And I would pronounce this as Sabine's goal. And that's why probably nobody understood what I was talking about. But Sabin's goal. (laughs) Sabin's goal. So we saw a whole flock of Sabin's goals come in. Yeah, that was was pretty cool. They're they're pretty recognizable. They're blackhead. I guess. I mean, they. If you weren't really thinking in, about it, it looks like a laughing goal. Well, I, I was going to say, in, in for Oregon goals, and they're, location. They're reco- for for lo- locationally, they're very recognizable goals. Yeah, they have bl- black 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 on their primaries, black on their flight feathers, and it basically the black goes diagonal up their up their wing, and then dark gray comes down to their back, and then their back is dark gray again, so it forms an M on their back. And there were some Bonaparte goals in there, which we weren't able to tease I, out. I never, I never really got a good look, but I was also, you know, head over doing, the edge. doing my thing. So <laughs> I, I didn't get a great look. Didn't see, didn't see the Bonapartes, unfortunately. But I saw the Sabines. I got it, or Sabins, Sabines, Sabins, Sabins. Um, 
Got got some diagnostic photos. <laughs> Definitely not good photos. Diagnostic. You could tell you could tell what's in the picture. Um, of and those guys. So one thing I really liked about this plagic, the first plagic we went on, we like didn't see hardly any birds. Oh, none. We paid a lot of money, and we didn't see a whole Almost lot of birds. Almost twice as much. Which I don't want to say like we paid a lot of money, so we should see birds. Oh yeah. But I just feel like I overpaid. But anyways, the, on the first one we went on, they poured like chum out like crazy. Like oh there were gosh. gallons and gallons of chum. We made a slick that w- went for like miles. Yeah, and the, on, the entire trip. And on this one, and I don't know if it's just because of like type of pelagic or location or what, but they par- barely put out any. And yeah. there were like f- hordes of birds coming into it. Yeah, we, so we, we get out. We didn't We didn't chum on the way out. We didn't chum on the way back. We went to one spot. They threw out like three or four handfuls of popcorn with a special fish mixture. I think it's beef. Well, they're, 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 whatever, whatever. whatever the mixture was. Yeah. Um, they they threw out a couple handfuls of that just to get some smell out there, and and it was we, we get there we see a bunch of birds there are already in the area, so we th- they they threw a handful of stuff out to see if we could toss drum up, up some, some more drum up some more birds, and the birds of course flew in because they start smelling the fresh the fresh smells in the air but and, that's something, and that was it and then we go to the next spot and the same thing throw a couple handfuls out and that was it but and, that's something i appreciated oh yeah that there wasn't like an overfeeding of birds there was just like enough it's it's kind of like the like when we were talking about uh playing bird recordings like yeah. this this it's not really the same thing because bird recordings for the bird doesn't really get anything in the end but chum they get something to eat yeah so i mean it's it's not really the same thing but it's Kind of, it's kind of, I look at it the same thing, like mm-hmm. overplaying bird bird recordings when you're out in the field versus over chumming. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was definitely something interesting. and I don't know if it's something that you can really look up before you go hand, I don't go know. out or if it's just something you know. I don't know. Just oh. something I noticed. I appreciated it, though. Yeah. So, so we go to the next chum spot after after the albatross. Went, went to the second spot. We saw, we saw some uh, dolphins. And I think there was an albatross flying by, and a couple and a handful of the storm petrels. Mm-hmm. So they decided, hey, we'll stop here real quick. So we stopped here. Didn't really see anything new at that other spot. No. But we got. But the but the albatross came in real close again. Oh. The this the Sabin's goals were close again. So it was it was a there were there were all productive spots. Yeah. But again, with pelagic birding, not a huge number of species you see out there, but. You Good o- birds. But they're the only place. It's the only place to go to see them. Yeah. So you can spend your entire life in Illinois and never see a black-footed albatross. Probably. So. <laughs> uh, so then we start heading back. Like we said, it's a six-hour trip, so it wasn't a super long one. So we started heading back. We saw some fur seals, which were really which is cool. Super cool. Yeah. They had their fin up. Like just sticking their, it's like sticking their arm out of the ocean. I, like I thought, hey, I thought I'm he was here. Waving us over, like come over here. <laughs> I don't come know over what here. he's doing. I don't know why. And then we just saw, I think just one orca. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Which that was neat. I've never seen orcas off Oregon before. But no, so tons of tons of sea life, not just birds. Mm-hmm. Tons of mammals, which was fantastic. And that that was kind of it. I mean, I feel like we saw a lot of birds. Yeah, I was very and, happy. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was a great trip. Our guys were fantastic. Um, they all were really nice, you know, really talkative, pointing things out to us. And the boat wasn't, like, packed. Like, our first pelagic we went on, I felt like the boat was absolutely packed. Like, oh, yeah. I didn't want to go in the cabin because there were so many people in there. Yeah. and And this time, like, it might have just been because people are... People know what they're getting into. There wasn't that many people that were seasick, and there was only there was only a couple people that were on the boat that were like the incapacitated type of seasick, where they're just laying back yeah. and they're not doing anything. It's probably overdose of Dramamine, so you're sleepy and add on seasickness. So you don't want to do anything. But on a note of seasickness, one thing I don't know if it helps anyone else, but keeping my mind off of off of what's going on, keeping my mind on the birds, on the wildlife, that's that keeps me from kind of chumming. Does conversation help? I don't know if conversation really helps because my mind's still thinking thinking about. It. It's not necessarily thinking about being sick, but it's thinking about the motion. I don't know. It's it's like if I can think of something completely separated from the motion, the boat, being sick, 
then I do okay. And then like watching the birds, watching yeah. the birds, watching the watching the wildlife. That that really does it for, does does wonders for me. I can I'll go for an hour without being sick, and then all of a sudden it'll come on like a wave. I'll deal with it, and then we'll smooth back out, and I'll be good for good for another hour or so. And I teased on Facebook, like guess how many times that Eric chummed when we were on the boat, and I think the grand total was five. Right? Five, yeah, five times. Yeah. You did really yeah. good. Once One, an hour. Once an hour. That was good. Yeah. And. Yeah, like we said, we had a great time. We would definitely go out with these guys again. Oh, absolutely. They're fantastic birders, really friendly. Um, if, if they'll put up with me again. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, gosh, any other, like, big takeaways that you had from this trip? Maybe compared to last trip or just on No, I just, on this own? was, I, th- I think we pretty much covered it. This this was a great trip. Six hours, for me, six hours was enough. That, yeah. I, I, if... If we could go somewhere further out, or if we had to go somewhere further out to see more, I guess I would do it. Yeah. But six hours was enough for me. I, It's hard enough for me to handle, like, that length. Feel bad that I get seasick, but, you know, everyone has their downfalls. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I can't think... That the, the biggest takeaway would, would just be, like, I, I learned a little bit about myself about how I can combat seasickness a mm-hmm. little bit. Didn't learn that much about it, but I, I feel like I learned a little bit about it. No, well, making progress, bettering myself. Um, I was really just excited that I saw albatross. That that's just something that I like. I said I've wanted to see forever, and we got to see at least black-footed albatross. Of course, yeah. I love lacing or wandering, but you know that wasn't something that we really expected. Maybe next time on this, yeah, maybe next time, but. I thought this was a great trip. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't crowded. The first trip we went on, like, had 50 or 60 people on it. The guides weren't, they weren't pointing things out. They, you know, we only saw, like, a total of 10 birds throughout the whole thing. Not even species, just, like, birds. Birds, yeah, 10 birds. Yeah, and for, like, an eight-hour trip, that just wasn't what I was hoping for. And we didn't really even hear what those birds were until we got off because we had trouble trying to figure them out and the guides weren't really helpful. And these guides on this trip were super helpful. Yeah, Oregon Project Tours does a good job choosing his guides. Yeah. So I would definitely make sure to look up reviews if you're going to go on a project tour. Um, If you've watched The Big Year, Angelica Houston, she portrays someone named Annie Auklet, which... I've heard is supposed to be um, the character of Debbie Shearwater who goes out of Monterey and this is her last year of tours with Shearwater Mm -hmm. Tours so if you haven't had a chance to go with her you might think about doing that this year. I've I've heard she's the gold standard. Yeah we're planning on going on her September 13th trip so. Fingers crossed that works out. Yeah so if you guys want to come with us (laughs) then that might be a day Um, but (laughs) yeah it's Definitely something different than normal birding. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not your everyday average backyard or wetland or forest birding. How it's, many times a year would you do it? I don't know. I, th- I think two at the most. I you think, think I can two. handle I, I I feel like I'm still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, the, the moral of the story is pelagic birding is a ton of fun. It's a lot of like physical work as well as like mental because you don't get to see... I, I feel like even if we had studied these birds, like, beforehand, and we went in not having studied because we're, We studied like, the night before. We're procrastinators. <laughs> um, but even having studied them, I don't feel like I really would have felt super confident with some of, like, the sheer waters. Once, I mean, once, you, once you get out there and you see them once, yeah. then you get a pretty good idea. Like, if, if you're, if you're fairly, fairly well studied in birds, yeah. once you see them once, you're all right, but... Trying to go based on field guides. The field guides... I, I haven't seen any field guides that do a good job sussing them out if you've never seen them before. If you've yeah. seen them before, then then what the field guide's saying all makes sense and it, it does good, but... And that might just be us, too. Yeah, it might be. Um, but Not experts. Yeah, this is kind of... <laughs> this is kind of getting into the good season of Pelagic, so you might check out your local location and see if you have any, if you live on the... The coast, coast at all? Well, not necessarily just the West Coast. You might... Live... I guess this is a season for East Coast, isn't it, too? Um, who knows? Maybe England has some great plagiarism. Yeah, maybe England here. has some... You guys let us know and see if we should come out for a plagiarism. Yeah. At some point. That'd in the be future. interesting. Go, go to one off of, off of England. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, 
But anyways, gosh, it was a ton of fun. I'm mm-hmm. glad we went. Yeah. Thank you, Oregon Pelagic Tours and Trade Winds. It was a great time. So thank you all for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and or learned something. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. I did hear that if you ask Alexa to play Hannah and Eric Go Burning or, or Siri, that she'll do it. Ask so, your smart speaker. Ask your smart speaker. <laughs> um, if you'd like to connect with us, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Eric with a K. Hannah with an H. Um, on our Facebook page, Hannah and Eric Go Birding, or email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. We did have a question on our email as to how you send in um, questions. To ask Hannah and Eric? Yeah, because we did say you get a sticker if you do so. And I'm not quite sure if that question was the question or not. <laughs> if it is, send us your address because we can't send you a sticker if we don't know where you live. I'm I'm not that good at, like, stalker to figure out where you live. <laughs> not that not gonna, I, I feel like you guys should know that I'm not going to put in that effort. <laughs> um, but anyways, if you do want to send in a question to ask Hannah and Eric and get a sticker, please... Email it to us or Facebook us or even Instagram us, but just make sure to private message us because we do need your address. Yeah. We, we, you don't need to send it in a comment so everyone can see. Just private message or direct Facebook. message yeah, or, or whatever. whatever it's called when you email. <laughs> email message. Just uh, pri- privately send us a question and we'll... Answer it on our next episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll do the best we can. We also tend to read reviews that we like on our episodes, too. So leave us a review, and you might get a shout-out. So um, tell us what you hated. Tell us what you liked. And, you know, as always, with good things, share us with your friends. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.